Our scripture reading today is Psalm 27. Please follow along with us in your bulletin on page 10. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me, answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. And uh, if y'all have not uh, met Emily yet, she is our uh, youth intern uh, working with us began June 1st. So <laughs> I've introduced myself to her uh, this week uh, because we had not seen each other in person um, before. So um, it's great to have her on and thank you for, for reading. Kids, there are, uh, there, there's a children's bulletin in that I actually didn't mention earlier that is there in your worship bag. And on that bulletin, there's a spot to jot down three things that I'm going to mention during the sermon that I want you to listen specifically for. Uh, The first is a wedding. Uh, The second is a quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the third thing I'd love for you to do is to count the number of times that I use the word beauty or beautiful. Okay? I'd love to hear afterwards. You can come tell me how many times I said it. Wedding, Jesus Storybook Bible, beauty or beautiful. So with that, uh, let uh, let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we ask that you would draw near to us now, that you would fulfill this great promise that you've made in your word, that when your word is proclaimed, it will not return void, that you will be present when your people gather around your word together. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that by your spirit and that we would behold Jesus in all of his beauty and glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.
I, I want to just start by saying how grateful I am to y'all. Um, it was an amazing time away. And uh, this sabbatical was a complete and utter gift from y'all. And, and I want to recognize you as my church family, as our church family, um, who not only uh, allowed us to be away, but uh, you prayed for us. And you encouraged us and you communicated to us how grateful you were for us to have this opportunity. And um, we're actually coming up this week on uh, seven years that Trinity has, uh, has been in existence, which is uh, fantastic. Um, and I will say that uh, for those entire seven years, my family and I have felt loved and cared for by you. And uh, this was just um, a, an unbelievable piece of that sort of love and care. So thank you. Um, I, I want to also thank the session. Um, not every session cares about the health of their pastors the way our session does. And so uh, to, to, uh, to have them not only uh, just be okay with this, but actually to be enthusiastic about giving us this time away uh, is a total gift, and I'm so grateful to them. Um, I also want to say a huge thank you to our staff. Um, thank you to Andy, uh, to Courtney, to John, to Amy, uh, to, to Susan, and to Emily. Um, I, I mentioned this on Tuesday when we were at staff meeting. There was literally not one moment on sabbatical that I was ever at all worried about was, what was going on here. Um, and that, that's saying something, uh, because I contend in the direction of a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of worry. I had none of it. And it wasn't like the Lord was just kind of supernaturally doing that. I do think maybe that was part of what was going on. But a huge piece of that is the, the kindness that the Lord has shown our church in the sort of people that he has given us to serve in these roles. So thank you guys um, so much for that. Um, we, had, uh, we had two main goals uh, going into sabbatical. I shared some of these when, um, in the letter that I sent just before we left. Uh, one was this, to spend uh, unhurried time as a family. Um, and the second was to, to spend unhurried time with Jesus. And what I'm so uh, grateful to get to say is that the Lord gave us both of those. And that, that he gave me both of those things. And so um, I want to tell you something about what we did. <laughs> Dustin asked just before I came up, he's like, are you going to like slow, show a bunch of pictures, like a slideshow or something? <laughs> no, but actually that would have been a good idea maybe to have a picture too. No pictures, I'm sorry. But, but uh, here's some of what we did. Um, we went uh, to a lot of really fun, beautiful places. Um, we spent a lot of time in the mountains. Uh, we went on a lot of walks and a lot of hikes together. And I was thinking about this uh, this week. The one member of our family who's pretty upset about sabbatical coming to an end is our dog, Tilly. Because she went on more walks than she ever has in her life uh, during our time away, and now we're not around all the time at home. Um, we got to share so many great meals together as a family. And we laughed so much together. And that was one of those things that, that you realize that, um, that, that you know you're really resting when you're able to, to laugh together. Uh, we played a whole lot of games together, mainly Mexican Train, which I'm a big, big advocate of. Great game, Mexican Train. Um, I, got to, uh, I got to run and ride my bike a lot, and I got to do it where it wasn't uh, in triple digits, which was a real gift, right? Um, we, uh, we spent a lot of time outside, 
And, um, and early on, I, I realized another kind of indicator of, of, of how well sabbatical was going was how often I had to put on sunscreen. <laughs> because it meant that we were outside. And that was this life-giving thing for us uh, to do. Um, another really big thing that happened this summer uh, while we were on sabbatical is that we moved, which is not something that typically I would recommend to do while you're on sabbatical, right? Um, but uh, honestly, uh, I was actually pretty concerned uh, that moving ha- had at least the potential to undercut a lot of the rest that we were hoping to have on sabbatical. And so I was actually uh, pretty, pretty nervous about that, but thankfully, in God's kindness, that didn't happen. Um, I, I, we did, or I, definitely had to, to be okay and fight the temptation uh, of trying to, to get everything done. And so it actually became this really great discipline uh, of resting, uh, of being okay with tasks left unfinished around the house and instead prioritizing time together and time with the Lord. And I actually had a sabbatical coach who was incredibly helpful. He knows me really well. Uh, he's the one who had done this Leaders Collective program that I've been a part of, this pastor's cohort, for, um, for four years now. And one of the things that he continued to remind Jeanette and me of is that this move was no surprise for the Lord, that he really did uh, intend all of this to happen together in the summer, and that, that helped a lot. And so while the move was, uh, was a lot of work, we have absolutely loved our new house, too. And in a lot of ways, uh, our, our house has been a place of rest for us, and we're incredibly excited about how close we are to our new church building. That was why, that was the whole reason we moved. We're just over a mile uh, from our building. So uh, we, we had a whole lot going on um, this summer, but we also, uh, in the middle of all of that, really got to rest. And so a lot of times what would happen is we would get to these places after we had traveled some, and we would get there and really slow down. And it, it was in those, those quiet mornings, those slower afternoons, that, that I had this unhurried time with Jesus. And so I got to read a lot of scripture, and not doing so in preparation to teach it or preach it, but just to enjoy being with the Lord. Um, I got to read a lot of really great books, and I got to pray a lot. Uh, Jeanette and I went on a retreat, a weekend retreat, to a place called Lady Lodge in the middle of July, which is an incredible gift. I've talked some about it before. I could go on about it. I'd love to tell you more about it. It's in the Hill Country. Uh, It was an incredible uh, weekend away. Uh, And then at the beginning of August, uh, I spent a week at a monastery in Kentucky, and it was a week that, that, was, uh, that was almost spent in complete silence. And so uh, the joke has been is that I'm still trying to catch up and get all the words out that, uh, that I didn't say that week. And so uh, I've had a couple of instances where I've sat down with people and it's just kind of like, blah, like everything out. So be patient with me um, as that continues to happen. Um, but one of the things that, that was so uh, impactful and that I loved so much about it, what, uh, about that week at the monastery, were the, the rhythms of prayer. And so the, the monks would pray seven, at seven set times a day, beginning at 3.45 in the morning. I never joined them for that one. Um, all the way to 7.30 at night. And their lives were oriented around these very uh, short prayer services that were made up largely of, of chanting the psalms together. 
And it was amazing uh, of what happens where I had three full days of this, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And even just after that amount of time, the way in which the Psalms begin to soak into you. It was such a gift to be there. It was an incredibly uh, life-giving experience for me. And it really was a great way to to sort of cap the, the end of our sabbatical. So we, we worshiped in other churches while we were gone, and uh, in the middle of that, we missed y'all so much. And, uh, and three weeks ago, I, I had this moment where it was sort of like a switch flipped, and it was like, and I felt, okay, I'm ready to go back. And I, I want to communicate to y'all how excited I am to be back, how grateful I am to get to be your pastor and, and this really struck me uh, this summer, that, that, that it's uh, not an exaggeration to say, to say that I really am more excited than ever right now to be your pastor and, and for us to be entering into uh, this next stage of life uh, for our church. Um, we're coming up on a year where, where there's a whole lot of new uh, that's going to happen. And uh, this sabbatical hit at, at really the perfect time um, to come back so excited and thrilled to, to get to walk with Jesus, with y'all, uh, into this next phase of life. So um, I, I thank God for this sabbatical, and I, I thank y'all for it. That's not the end of my sermon. Sadly enough, right? Um, so here, here's what I did. I wanted to tell y'all about this, but I left this Sunday open uh, when putting together the, uh, our preaching schedule because what I want to do is to be able to share some about how the Lord ministered to me uh, personally during our sabbatical. Uh, but, but the other uh, reason for wanting to do that is because it, it's an opportunity for us to look at something that, that is really pretty basic, but it's something that is absolutely central to each of our lives. If you are a Christian, this is central to your life, but it's also central to our life as a church. And it comes in just a couple of verses from Psalm 27. And it's uh, specifically verses 4 and verse 8. So you can look back there. I'm going to refer to these verses a good bit. So verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire, or that could be also translated meditate, in his temple. And then skip down to verse 8. Verse 8, this has gone to a place where David is now speaking to the Lord. And he says this. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And so uh, one of the phrases that, that we use around Trinity a good bit is that our hope and prayer is that Jesus would become more beautiful and believable to us. That that's what we long for. And uh, I'm so grateful to get to say that that is what happened for me this summer. And it's what I want for us as a church all the more. So uh, I want us to look some at this psalm, a little bit of the setting here. So David uh, is facing some kind of circumstances here that are incredibly frightening. They're scary, they're uncertain, and it's legitimately fear-inducing. Right? We'll look some at what those specifics are. But here's the deal, uh, and why I want us to look at the psalm. What he recognizes is that in the middle of all of this stuff that's going on around him, is that what he needs more than anything else is to see and savor the beauty of the Lord. 
And that might not come to mind to you as something that, 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 that is what you need more than anything else. But, but here's why this is so important for us. That is actually what we also need more than anything else. To see and savor the beauty of the Lord in the face of Jesus. And so that's some of even this summer what, what I realize I need. And it's what you need. And it's what our church Need. So what I want to do is just look at a couple of, of points from this psalm. Here's the first, our need to behold the face of the Lord. And then secondly, the way that we behold the face of the Lord. So first, uh, our need to behold the face of the Lord. So uh, like most psalms, um, we're not told in here what the exact circumstances of David's life are. So we don't know exactly what's happening here. And sometimes you read a psalm like that and you think, it'd be really nice to know what the setting is here. Like what, what is actually happening? But, but one of the real gifts of the Psalms is that, that while none of us in here are facing enemies that are actually trying to take our lives, but I will say that that is happening to Christians in certain parts of the world where they pray these Psalms and it maps on in a very direct way. But, but, but even in our circumstances, we can pray these Psalms and read these Psalms and still see that they map onto our lives because there is a specificity to them but there's also something that's general, that's applicable to all of our lives. And so th this is why the Psalms are the prayer book of God's people. And so David, uh, he mentions some specifics in verses 2 and 3. And he says that there are these enemies that are after him. They are literally trying to take his life. But here's what's wild about this. He says in verse 1, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And after you read the rest of the psalm and you hear about these guys trying to take his life, you think, well, David, uh, a lot of things you could be afraid of, right? There are a lot of people that you could legitimately be afraid of. And yet, here's what he says in verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And so the question is, how in the world can he say that? The reason that he can say that has everything to do with where, or we could even put it this way, to whom David is looking. And so he's saying, if, if I look around at my life, at this chaos, at this danger, at all this uncertainty, at all of the unknowns about all these people coming at me, and I have to face that on my own, then I've got a whole lot to be afraid of. But what David realizes is that he's not facing that alone. It's because he recognizes that there is one thing that he needs in the, in the middle of all this more than anything else. And what he needs, he says, is to dwell in the house of his God. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To behold the face of his Savior. Now, why is that? Well, because that's where he's not only reminded of who his God is, though that's happening. It's also the place where he actually is near to his God. This place where he, he enjoys this deeply personal and intimate communion with the God who loves him, with the God who is with him, with the God who is for him. And so he, he says this with a couple of images, which uh, as you read the Psalms, uh, pay close attention to images. That's the way the Psalms uh, speak to us in a lot of ways. There are two that I want to highlight from these verses. One is the temple. 
So if you look at verse 4, uh, David refers to the house of the Lord. That is a reference to the temple. He goes on to actually say temple later on. And I, I've mentioned this many times from this pulpit before, um, but it is hard to overestimate the importance of the temple in the Old Testament. A lot of times when we hear temple, we think about the, the, the place where Israel gathered to worship. And it was that, but it was so much more than that. See, the, the, the tabernacle and then later on the temple were the places where God's special presence dwelt with his people. And so if you wanted to be near God, the place that you would go is to the temple. And so this is why the, the, the book of Exodus is so taken up with all of these very detailed instructions about building the tabernacle. And then later on in 1 Kings, when the, the actual uh, temple is built, there is all of this talk about the specifics of that building. And this is also why later on in the Old Testament, when Israel is sent to exile out of the land, things are so devastating to them. Because it's not just that their land is no longer theirs. It's that they are now separated from the very presence of God. And so that's some of what's happening here. And that, this is what, what David's saying. He knows that it's in being near to God, gazing upon his beauty, inquiring or meditating in his temple, that he is going to find this refuge for his soul, this rest from all that's going on around him. And he goes on to say the joy that even his heart longs for, no matter what's going on around him. So that's one image. The other image is the image of the face of the Lord. So verse 8, once again, you've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And so the face of God in the Bible is the way to talk about his saving presence with his people. So a couple of examples of this. Psalm 80, verse 3, restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. And then the other example of this is what you hear every week at the conclusion of our service. It's from number six, and it's the, the, the benediction, the blessing that Aaron was told to pronounce on the people of Israel as they departed. And it's this from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So the, the, the face of the Lord is this, this beautiful and deeply personal image. And what David is saying is that what he wants is to know God in this intimate and personal way. So uh, think about this for a moment. When you are close with somebody, the way that you speak to them is face to face. You look one another in the eyes when you're speaking to somebody that you love. And so so uh, picture a marriage, a, a wedding uh, ceremony, for example. So imagine that the bride and groom are standing there. They're about to recite their vows to one another. So as usual, they would turn and face one another. But then imagine that, that the groom, uh, as he starts reciting his vows, won't look at his bride. So you kind of have a situation where the bride does a, so I, Brian, take you, Jeanette, to be my wedded wife. And you think like that would never happen, right? Because that, that, that's so deeply impersonal. But to look to one another in one another's eyes, face to face, is personal. That's how you speak to those that you love. And that's what David wants. He wants the presence of God because he knows that this is the place where this refuge and rest that he longs for is going to be found. And so that, that, that is part of why we actually need to behold the face of God. 
It's because this is the only place where you can find the refuge and rest in the middle of the chaos of your life. In the middle of all of the uncertainties, all of the unknowns, all of the sorrow, all of the heartache, all of the loneliness, the place to find refuge and rest is before the face of the Lord. But there's actually an even more basic reason for this that we need to behold the face of God. I'm gonna spend just a few minutes here and it's for this reason. You were created for that. The claim of the Bible is that you were made for a relationship with God and that that's actually part of what it means to be made in his image. And and it's not just that you were created for some sort of general relationship to God as your creator. You were actually created for this deeply personal and intimate relationship with him. You were created to, to dwell with him. You were created to to gaze upon his beauty and to have your soul satisfied by seeing his face. One of the people uh, in the history of the church who, who knew this, who believed this, who experienced this so deeply was St. Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine was a North African bishop. He lived at the end of the fourth century and the beginning of the fifth century. Um, I, I had spent a lot of time in the last year reading his stuff. I read a lot of his sermons uh, this summer and read some great books about him. And, and he is up there for me as one of my all-time favorite theologians and pastors. And, and here's one of the main reasons for it. One of the reasons that I'm so drawn to him is that he had the kind of relationship with Jesus that I long for. He knew what it was to love God and to be loved by God. He's one who, who had gazed upon the beauty of the Lord and it completely changed his life. So uh, uh, just a couple of quotes uh, from him. One is one that, that we use often here. It was actually part of our confession of sin. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And one more that, that was in, uh, in the front of the bulletin. All things are beautiful because you made them, but you who made everything are inexpressibly more beautiful. See, what, what Augustine is saying and what David is saying is that the deepest desire of your heart is actually for God himself. And part of what's so, so devastating about our sin is that what we do is instead of finding that satisfaction in God himself, we go looking for it in a million other places. And yet over and over again, the only place that you will find what your heart aches for is in Jesus himself. And it's beautiful that Augustine describes this in terms of rest. Because every one of us knows how exhausting it is to go looking for that satisfaction elsewhere. So what David says here is that what we need most is to behold the face of God. And so the next question is, how do we do that? Because for David, it's actually pretty clear. It's to go to the temple, right? But we live in a time, a different spot in redemptive history where there's no longer a temple. So the question then is, where do we go? And so here's our second and final point. The way to behold the face of the Lord. There's a, uh, there's a passage in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians where he compares the, the way of knowing God in the old covenant before Jesus came to the way of knowing God in the new. And so um, here's one of the, the, the ways he wraps up a portion of that argument. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let, sh- let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. See that this face of God 
that Moses wasn't allowed to see on Mount Sinai, in Sinai back in Exodus 33 is now the face of God that we behold in Jesus. And so the, the, the way to dwell in the house of the Lord, the way to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, the way to seek his face is to look at Jesus. This one who Paul says is the very image of God and who the author of Hebrews says is the exact imprint of his nature. We're to look to Jesus to behold the face of God. So how do we do that practically? How do we look to Jesus? I'm gonna uh, suggest two ways, and the first is this. It's through gathered worship. One of the the amazing claims of the New Testament is is that uh, multiple New Testament authors say that we, the church, are now the new temple. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says it in Ephesians 2. Peter does a lot with this in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And what they both say is that when we gather as the people of God, as those united to Jesus and indwelt by his spirit, we are the dwelling place of God. So the, the, the reason we don't go to any physical temple anymore is because we, as the people of God, are that temple. And so part of what that means is that the main place, the central place where you can go to behold the face of God is worship with the people of God every Sunday. Exactly what we are doing right now. And so if you're here visiting with us, um, one of the things, not one of the things, the thing that is central to our life as a church that has been from the very start, that will continue to be, is this time of gathered worship together. Where we gather around God's word together, where we gather around his table together, and in the midst of that, we behold the very face of our Savior. And so really practically, here's one thing I'd encourage you to do. We're, we're all at the beginning of the, uh, the school year, even if you are not connected with the school directly. We all have this sort of beginning of new schedules at this time of year. So here's what I'd encourage you to do is you are mapping out your year. Put weekly worship in a non-negotiable place on your Sunday to give yourself weekly to beholding the face of the Lord together because this is the place where that happens. So that, that, that's one way. Here's the second. It's through personal prayer, through personal prayer. And so most of the time, I think when we uh, think about prayer, we are thinking about presenting requests to God and that's certainly a lot of what prayer is. But there is also a kind of prayer that we might just call being with the Lord. It goes by a lot of different names. We've talked some in the past about uh, silence and solitude. But the, the, at the heart of this most basic practice is quieting yourself before the Lord and just merely enjoying his presence, asking him to draw near to you. And one of the, I know that, that that can be new to us, it can be challenging, and so you can start with, uh, with even something as simple as just a minute or two during a time of prayer. One of the uh, places that, that uh, you could look for a little help with this is in the Daily Prayer Project. There's a section in there called Abiding. It happens every morning and evening in this liturgy, and that's an opportunity for you to be with the Lord, to in those moments gaze upon his beauty, to seek his face, to behold his face. And so I, I mention these things um, because I, I really do believe this is what we need as a congregation. 
We are um, at a really exciting stage in the life of our church. Our staff has grown, which is so, so much of a gift from the Lord. Um, we are about to move into a new building in 2023. Uh, and, and with that building is going to come all of these great opportunities for all sorts of different ministry, both with, within our church and also in the neighborhood and outside of our church. But it, it, in the midst of all of that, though, there is one central thing that we absolutely need most. And it's to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty together, to enjoy this life with him that is ours in Jesus. And that is really the life with Jesus that we have to offer to our neighbors. That's what we have to give to them. So let me close with this. Um, there's a, if you read on the psalm, um, there's a part that's a little surprising. It comes in verse 9. You can glance back there. David has just said, your face, Lord, do I seek. The Lord said, uh, seek my face. He says, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then he says this, hide not your face from me. And he goes on to, to say a few things and pray a few things about being concerned about the possibility of that happening. Now, at the end of the psalm, the Lord says that that's not gonna happen. Verse 13, he says, I believe, David's saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so the question is, why is he so confident of that? that the Lord will not hide his face. The reason David is confident is because the Lord has promised that he will not hide his face from him. But here's what is incredible about our situation. We have something that is even more sure. Because of where we live in redemptive history and when we live, we know exactly why the Lord will never ever hide his face from us when we seek him. And it's because that there was a day when the Father did turn his face away. And it was that day when his son, our Lord Jesus, hung on the cross, bearing the judgment for our sin. And so here's how uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones describes this. She's speaking of, uh, of Jesus crying out on the cross, and here's how she says it. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, Nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. And so here's what that means. If you have put your faith, faith in Jesus, then you can be absolutely certain that God will never turn his face away from you. And that there is a day coming when you will see God face to face, then that that is what John is speaking of in Revelation 22, that that is your future. But it's not just our future. This is what God calls us to. It's what God invites us to enjoy right now through his son by the power of his spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let me pray. Father, we rejoice that you have given us yourself, that you have created us to enjoy you, to behold your beauty, to inquire at your temple, to seek your face. And so, Father, we pray that by your spirit, we would do that and enjoy you in it. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.